0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, join us at Walters for the first ever Nats Chat podcast party. We'll hang out, watch playoff baseball, chat about the Nats, and get to know fellow fans of the team.
1: The event begins at 7 p.m. at Walters, just across
2: from Nationals Park on Friday night, October 14th. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: Swing and a drive, deep lap down the line, hooking toward the corner, and it is fair and gone. A home run for Mark Canna. A three-run shot here in the bottom of the first inning. The 1-0 pitch. Breaking ball, hammer to deep left field. Back Palacios to the track, to the wall, looking up, and it's gone. Long gone into the seats and left. A three-run homer for James McCann makes it 9-0. Nothing now the set here's the pitch swinging a tapper back to the mound Rodriguez has it he turns and whips a throw to McCann for the final out of the final game of the 2022 season
0: and welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday October 6th 2022 along with MassInsports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman who was at Citi Field in New York City I'm Al Galdi host of the Al Galdi podcast. They say that all good things must come to an end. Uh, What about things that aren't so good? Those things do end too. And the Nationals 2022 season certainly falls under that umbrella. And that season finally, mercifully, is over. The season ended in very fitting fashion. A 9-2 rain-shortened loss at the New York Mets on Wednesday night to conclude the single worst season that the Nationals franchise has had since moving to To Washington, D.C. It's amazing how things can play out. This ended up being a Mets season that refused to end. The season that so many most wanted to end ended up refusing to end. This ended up being the very last game to conclude in Major League Baseball's 2022 regular season, this rain-delayed 9-2 loss at the Mets on Wednesday night. Mark, I can't get over that. (laughs) This game ends up being the last game of the regular season. I guess, though, it's appropriate given the way that this Nats season ended up going.
1: Well, you want to save the best for last, right, Alan? Clearly, this was the best game out there for anybody who cares about Major League Baseball to cling to before saying goodbye to the 2022 regular season. Everything about this was fitting. I mean, just think about the last week. There were rain issues pretty much every day for the last week, both in DC and in New York. There were two doubleheaders. There were postponements, rain shortened games, rain delays, a whole lot of blowouts, and five straight losses by the Nationals to division opponents that are going to make, or that did make, the postseason, they really limped to the finish line. And While we did talk about there was a stretch there about mid-August, mid-September, that they were playing much better baseball, better brand of baseball, much more competitive. They were actually beating some good teams. They limped down the stretch here, losing the last five. Four of their last five games, they trailed at one point by a score of eight to nothing or worse and the other one they were trailing for nothing. So every game here down the stretch against the Phillies and the Mets they were down and they were down big and it just underscored really I think the biggest issue biggest reason that they lost 107 games and that is a starting rotation that does not resemble anything from what we grew accustomed to here between 2012 and 2019. If they are going to get this thing back in a positive direction There's a lot of different ways to do it, but it's clear they've said it's going to have to be through the rotation. That is priority number one. How do you get a five-some of starters that actually gives you a chance to win and gives you some innings because they just did not get that at all this year?
0: The numbers on this Nats season end up being jarring. So they end up being swept in three games at the Mets to end the season. The Nats over the three games got outscored 21-4. The Nats ended the season with the worst record in the majors, 55-107. The worst run differential in the majors, minus 252. End with a record against the National League East of 17 17- and, 59. and to Mark's point about the starting pitching, and I mean, you talk about an exclamation mark on that. Eric Fetty was atrocious on Wednesday evening. Nine runs in two and a third innings. He ends up finishing the season with an ERA of 581. This is a guy who threw nine starts this year, had an ERA of 355. But the Nats for the season end up dead last in the majors by miles in starting pitching ERA at five. 5- 97. The Nats this season ended up having three pitchers each make at least 27 starts. Each of those pitchers wound up with an ERA over five. Patrick Corbin, 31 starts, ERA of 631. Josiah Gray, 28 starts, ERA of 502. And Eric Fetty, 27 starts, an ERA of 581. Boy, It feels like the days of Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg and, you know, peak Patrick Corbin and Jordan Zimmerman and Gio Gonzalez and Tanner Roark and Doug Pfister and on and on we can go. Those days feel like a million years ago at this point with what was on display from a starting pitching standpoint this season.
1: It really made so much of this so difficult to watch. And I think we realize now, maybe it took a while, but you realize just how fortunate we were to watch one of the best rotations, if not often the best rotation in baseball for years, and they have so far to go to get to that point. And the problem is it's not just where they need to go, but in this division, you, you gave the number 17 and 59 against the NLEs to 224 winning percentage, the lowest ever for any team within its division since divisional play began in 1969. And what's the biggest difference between the nationals? And the rest of the NLEs, there's two biggest differences. The power offensively, we can get to that. But starting pitching, all four of the other teams finished with a starter's ERA in the top half of the league, and three of the teams, the three going to the playoffs, I'm sorry, the Braves, the Mets, and the Marlins, who didn't make the playoffs, had top nine rotation ERAs in baseball. The best path to success, it sounds old school, but it is true. You have a good starting rotation. You will give yourself a chance to win. You can make up for so many other things. The Nationals had far and away the worst rotation in baseball. And to think that that's where we'd be three years after Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, and Sanchez led them to a World Series title, that's pretty remarkable how far and how quickly that has all fallen apart.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you can look at that in a lot of different ways. I mean, we have harped on what is the number one reason for why the Nats are where they are bad drafts, bad player development. But, you know, you you could sort of flip that around and say the Nats are lucky that they enjoyed the great starting pitching that they enjoyed for so long because given the lack of success via drafting and player development, that success should not have lasted for as long as it did. And yet somehow it did last for as long as it did. And, you know, this thing could have collapsed much sooner than it ended up collapsing, thankfully, Did not. The Nats finished this season dead last in the majors in fan graphs, all encompassing base running stat, base running runs. The Nats finished this season dead last in the National League in home runs. The Nats finished this season next to last in the majors in defensive runs saved. I mean, on and on we can go. When we were kids, our mommies told us if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything. There really isn't much nice to say about this Nats team this season, although we can say this. And how about this for irony? The Nats finished this season with the number 15 relief pitching ERA in the majors at 384. The Nats' bullpen this season ended up being one of the team's better bullpens since the franchise came to D.C. And of course, you think about all of the very good Nats teams that had shaky, if not bad, bullpens, right? You think about especially like 2017 and the 2019 World Series championship team and that this Nats team, this atrocious Nats team, actually ended up having a pretty good bullpen. And it's kind of funny with this season-ending loss at the Mets. You actually saw that bullpen on display. Fetty was woeful, but you saw good stuff from Erasmo Ramirez and Hunter Harvey and Kyle Finnegan. And so isn't that bizarre that this perpetual weakness for the Nats actually was a strength in this oh-so-terrible season for the Nats?
1: Yeah, and I'll take it even a step farther. You gave the total numbers. You said, what, 15th in the league in the end? I looked at them over their last 77 games. That's a, almost half a season. The bullpen had a 316 ERA, sixth best in the majors, a 1.182 whip. That's good as well. And that's over basically three months of the season. Now, the best part of this. If you believe in the possibility that they could sustain this, Kyle Finnegan, Carl Edwards Jr., Hunter Harvey, Mason Thompson, Andres Machado, Jordan Weems, all under club control, all should be back next year. They could also re-sign Erasmo Ramirez. He's probably the one free agent that they could make a quick attempt to try to re-sign like they've done with some others in the past after he had a phenomenal year. He had the most innings in the majors in, uh, in the National League among all relievers, over 80 and had an ERA of about 2.5 in those relief outings. You put that all together, that was a huge saving grace for them. And it does make you think if they just got halfway decent starting pitching, not even great starting pitching, if they could just get five innings every night and keep their team in the game, that bullpen was actually good enough to help them win a lot of games. And so I don't know if that's sustainable, if you can say they're all going to come back next year and they're all going to be great but that's a lot of names, a lot of guys who pitched really well over a long stretch that for the first time in forever, you can go into the off season and say, they don't really need to do much bullpen wise. Maybe you need a lefty, although turns out they did all right even without a lefty in there. That is a shocking development in an otherwise miserable season.
0: It is. It's also though the portion of a team that is the most volatile, right? The bullpen. And so It's really nice what Nats relievers did this season. I don't know what that means for next season. It may not mean much. I mean, we just don't know. These relievers are so fickle. They are so year to year. But yeah, I mean, with Erasmo Ramirez, I don't think it's hyperbole to say he just had one of the best seasons that any Nationals reliever has had. The overall final numbers for Erasmo, 86 and a third innings in ERA, Of 292. Now, you know, he did put some guys on base. He's not some supreme strikeout pitcher. So, again, like, what does this mean for next year with this guy? I have no idea. But in terms of run prevention and volume of work, that is a really nice season, a sub three ERA and 86 into third innings. How often these days? Do relievers throw more than like 65 innings, let alone 86 into third innings over the course of a season? And
1: stayed healthy through it all. And I know he didn't pitch a whole lot of times in high leverage spots, but he had his decent share. There were times when things were going well that he would pitch, say, the sixth or the seventh inning in a big game or you know, get it out of a jam that a starter got into earlier on. He was their emergency starter at times. I mean, he can give you three or four innings if needed. It's such a valuable role to have. And it's a little backwards here, but I mean, if you think about guys like Erasmo Ramirez, Paolo Espino, Corey Abbott, like yeah, you could try to squeeze four or five innings out of them as a starter, but as we've seen, if you just get two innings from them, maybe even three, they can be very effective and maybe there is some kind of path along with those other more traditional relievers to put them all together and it allows you maybe not to need as much out of your rotation. Maybe, like I said, five innings is enough, even less than five is enough if you have enough of those relievers that can give you multiple innings in some cases. I'll be interested to see how they build that going into next year because they've got some good late inning, one inning one inning kind of relievers, but they also have these guys who are good for two or even three. More than that, they get into trouble. So, Is there a way to piece together a pitching staff doing that if they don't think they have the arms in their rotation to compete?
0: Yeah. Well, I think you are seeing teams around the majors do stuff like that. I think you're seeing the traditional paradigm of pitching collapse. And I think you're seeing a lot of different approaches to pitching in Major League Baseball in 2022. And, you know, that's why this thing of like, you know, the Mike Rizzo time-honored philosophy of, you know, you build it with starting pitching. I get that. That's awesome. If you can do that, good luck doing that. Okay. Like good luck developing A rotation to where you have five starters, each of whom you entrust start in and start out to give you six or seven innings. Like, good luck doing that. Okay. Let me know how that works out, especially with this team, which can't draft and develop a pitcher to save its life right now. I mean, that's the other part of all this. Like, even if you somehow felt like you maybe could do that, this is not the team to be mounting that horse given the track record of the last, you know, seven, eight, nine years now. So I do think you have to be open to other things. I don't think you can just, you know, It has to be the way that it was, you know, from 2012 through 2019. That was wonderful. That also is a dying being how the Nats did that for that long. And especially with the frequency of starting pitcher injuries. And boy, have we experienced that with this team in recent years. I don't know how realistic it is to say, you know, we're going to rebuild the rotation to where it was as it was during the glory days. I think you have to be open to other ways of attacking starting pitching.
1: Yeah, we do know that Mike Rizzo and David Martinez both still believe in the power of the rotation. Uh, Whether they can make that happen, we'll have to see. It's going to make for a a pretty fascinating offseason, which, by the way, we are going to still have some episodes this offseason, right, as we discuss whatever moves they make along the way.
0: We are we. You know, it was a lengthy negotiating process for you and me and Tim Shovers. It was not unlike the owners and the players during the lockout. Okay, and things at times got a little contentious, if we're being honest. But yes, <laughs> we struck a deal, and uh, we are coming back for 2023. So we're super excited about that, and we will have off-season episodes uh, as news warrants. Now. We have no idea what this Nats offseason is going to hold. I mean, this could be a very busy and eventful Nats offseason, especially if the team gets sold. This could be a nothing happening Nats offseason, especially if the team does not get sold. So I don't know. But I know that you and I will be talking and I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, we are so appreciative of everyone who has listened to this podcast and downloaded and subscribed to the podcast. And we're thrilled to be able to say we will be back for a season number three.
1: It is a remarkable thing. And, you know, if I could take a moment here just to, we're talking about how far the franchise has fallen. Obviously, from the peak of winning a World Series in 2019 to now three years later, losing 107 games. And yet, the interest in this team has not disappeared. We know it. We know the numbers. We know how many of you still listen to us every single day. And we can't thank you for that enough. It's because of you that we are going to be able to come back for a third season and continue to do what we love doing, talking about this team. Stick with us, <laughs> stick with them. Hopefully 2023 brings some more interesting, some more competitive baseball from the Nationals and in turn gives us some different things to discuss. Although If it doesn't, we will still find a way to share with you our thoughts on how things have gone even when they don't go well. <music>
0: Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. That season is ending, the weather is getting colder, but Window Nation has a great way to help you stay warmer and more comfortable and with incredible savings. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit WindowNation.com or call 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you if you act now, you can get your new Window Nation windows installed before the holidays. Window Nation windows will keep you warmer, will reduce energy costs, and will add to the value of your home. Take advantage of this special offer. Two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. That's a deferred payment that impresses even the learners. Visit WindowNation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. That's WindowNation.com or call 866
2: Indeed.com/bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And the pitch swung on, line drive through the hole.
3: It's a base hit into left field. Up with the ball is Canna. He'll play it in towards second,
0: and they'll be getting that baseball for Israel Pineda. That is his first major league hit. So with the potential sale. Are you hearing anything? I mean, what is the word? You know, there was the tweet from Barry's Verluga of the Washington Post back in July that there was a feeling that this thing was going to get done by like October, November, somewhere in there. We're not hearing much about a sale. That doesn't necessarily mean that a sale isn't imminent. But is there any kind of a sense of is the sale going to happen this offseason or isn't the sale going to happen this offseason?
1: What I would say from what I've heard was that a few months ago, there was that kind of optimism that it could be done, maybe even by November when there are owners meetings. And since then, I've heard a lot less optimism about that happening. Doesn't mean it won't happen, but I think people who maybe assumed that that would be the case are now on the fence believing whether that will actually happen by then or not. And, you know, think about it this way. You've got a group trying To sell a team and rightfully so trying to get as much as they can for it. Sports franchises are worth a whole lot of money as we know. But they're also trying to sell this team at its lowest possible point. If they are asking for let's say 2019 prices in 2022, they may not find the takers that they want at that price and the question then becomes how desperate are they to sell? Are they willing to lower the price and take something less than maybe they thought they would get all along because they just want to get out? Or are they willing to wait this out a little bit, see if things improve, maybe they do get a better offer if things look a little better with the team, if the TV deal gets a little bit more uh, resolved, that's an ongoing long-standing issue. I don't think this process has moved as quickly as maybe they were hoping it would or as well as they hoped it would. Doesn't mean it still can't. Let's also remember, as we said all along, it's not as simple as whoever Mark Lerner wants to sell the team to. That's who he sells the team to. 23 out of 30 owners have to approve a sale. So they've got to be on board with whoever it is that they're trying to sell it to. And so I think sense I get is that while it could still happen here within a few months – there is less optimism of that and that there's a chance that this goes on into the offseason and maybe into 2023.
0: Wow. Well, that that would be tough because I think everyone understands if the team is still owned by the learners this offseason, the team ain't going to be spending much money this offseason because if you're about to sell the team, why are you going to all of a sudden start making significant financial commitments with the team?
1: Yeah, and I think the difficult part of all this If Mike Rizzo knows, okay, this is happening in the next couple of months and it's going to happen in November, even early December, that still gives him the opportunity to have a full off season to try to go out and do whatever he thinks needs to be done. And If he has an ownership group saying, hey, you can spend this amount to go try to improve the team, he'll do that. But If this thing drags on, and even if they are sold, but if it doesn't happen until January, February, that's going to impact the off season. There's only so much That Rizzo can do in that case. And so it's entirely possible they have a sale done before opening day next year, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna translate into money spent and a better product on the field right away. It could then take until the following year before they have the resources to go out and do things. And so if I'm Mike Rizzo, and he kind of cryptically talked about this the other day when we interviewed him, he's waiting to find out what those parameters are from ownership while also knowing that that could change. If the team is sold at some point, but there's a calendar to deal with here. doesn't have to happen immediately, but I would say, you know, December, by the time you get to the winter meetings, certainly by January 1st, if it hasn't happened by then, he's in trouble and not going to be able to go do what he might want to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's so much to think about because it's not just spending on players. And we know that that can be fool's gold. That can not lead to any success, but it's spending on infrastructure. I mean, I I think the Nats pretty clearly need to beef up at the very least their analytics department. They need to try to catch up to the -the state-of-the-art teams and MLB. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why they are where they are. So, you know, is the new ownership going to be willing to commit to that? There's a lot to be thinking about here in terms of uh, what you want from new ownership and whether, you know, obviously we're going to get new ownership. I think it's interesting too, because you talked about the franchise being sold at a low point. It's certainly at a low point from a competitive standpoint. I wonder though, like the operating costs in theory are down, right? Because the payroll is down. If you're buying the team, you're kind of buying this blank canvas with which you can kind of do as you so please, I don't know. Maybe a prospective owner would see that as a positive. And then you know, you throw into the mix that franchise values in general just keep ascending. So I don't know. Maybe you can get a price in 2022 equal to what you would have gotten in 2019, maybe even higher. I mean, I think it's always hard to predict these things. And obviously, if you have multiple people who are hot to buy the Nats, then that can drive up the price too. So it's hard to gauge this stuff, right? Like, what's it going to go for? What should it go for? Will it go for uh, what we think it, it should go for, it's always difficult to pinpoint that. And I tell you, with this process in particular, it does seem to be operating in secrecy. There have not been many reports out there. There have been a few things here and there about potential buyers. But in terms of like where we are in the process, you're really not hearing or reading much.
1: Yeah, and I think that is specifically the way the learners like to do business, as we've known for a long time. And just think about it. We don't have a lot of experience with this, not just the Nationals, but even around town. Ted Leonsis has owned the Caps and the Wizards for a while. Now Dan Snyder has owned the Commanders for quite a while. So I go back to 2006 when MLB was selling the Nationals. And that was a very different process because MLB, the league, owned the team, formerly the Expos, and set a price for it and then said, okay, which of these like nine different groups are we going to sell it to? So those groups were not trying to outbid each other. They were trying to convince MLB that they were the best ownership group to get the nationals. And ultimately, it was a local family deep ties to the community and Mark Lerner and Ted Lerner and their family. And they have also made sure to bring in somebody with baseball experience and Stan Caston to run the day-to-day operation. So th- those were the selling points, but it wasn't really about the price. We knew what they were going to sell for. And this was MLB's call, who they wanted to sell it to. This is totally different. <laughs> this is the owners trying to get the best price they can and MLB wanting to approve whoever it is. And so it's a very different process. And like I said, it's, I'm not surprised that it's been secretive because we know how the learners operate. This has kind of always been their way. I remember back then there were a lot of leaks and groups wanting to get their names out there to let everybody know they were in on the bidding. You don't really see that as much here. And just because there are a few names we have heard publicly doesn't mean those are the only ones. You probably have others that are trying to keep it on the down low, don't want everybody to know they're involved, and could end up being the ones who get the team.
0: Well, it is by far the number one storyline of this Nats offseason. And of course, it could end up taking us nowhere. I mean, we could have no resolution with it this offseason. We just don't know. But there is so much to be thinking about right now if you're a Nats fan. There is so much uncertainty right now if you're a Nats fan. But, you know, that's part of what makes talking about this team so interesting. And uh, we're thrilled to be able to say that we are going to continue to do that with you. We are also very happy to say that we will be hanging out with you within the next couple of weeks here. Uh, The first ever Nats Chat podcast party, Friday night, October 14th at seven at Walters, right across the street from Nationals Park. The home base of the Nats Chat podcast is Walters. And so we'll be there on Friday night, October 14th, beginning at seven o'clock. So we're very much looking forward to that. And like we said, episodes as news warrants, I guess in terms of what is in the immediate future of the Nats, what's kind of next on your radar as the Nats offseason gets going here?
1: Honestly, it's probably the ownership question more than anything. There's not a lot of roster maneuvering to be done. They don't have – I mean, they have some free agents – but it's not a lot of guys that you think they're going to be bringing back. Nelson Cruz, Steve Ciszek, Cesar Hernandez types. I think Erasmo Ramirez is the one you could see them maybe jumping on to try to do it. But so many of these other guys are still under team control if they want. And I'm not saying it's the right way to go. But if they want, they can bring back the majority of this team next year and not have a whole lot of changes to it. You can argue whether that would be smart or not. But they could do that if they want. So there's not a lot of roster decisions in the immediate Future, there are some questions. Once you get around a non-tender time in uh, November and December, there will be a winter meetings for the first time in three years. It'll be the first one since the 2019 winter meetings after the World Series, going back to San Diego. What kind of marching orders do they have at that point? You know, sometimes you would think, okay, there could be coaching changes. Well, Davey Martinez made it clear the other day that there won't be. Coaching changes, if we were to believe him, nothing's gonna happen on that front. There's nobody in line for a big extension, <laughs> anything like that. So it it feels like it could be pretty quiet here for a while. Now, that's probably the worst thing is just to assume that it's gonna be all quiet because that's when something breaks. We're not expecting. But I do feel like a lot of people in the organization are just waiting for this big shoe to drop. What happens with ownership? And then what are the ramifications for that? Because it could have a ton of ramifications, not just on the field, but a lot of people who work for the team are very much waiting to see how this goes because it could impact them directly. But if that doesn't happen in the next you know month or two, this is going to drag on and they're going to have to proceed with the offseason as though nothing has changed. And that's a whole different dynamic. And I don't know what the answer is to how they proceed if that's the case.
0: Yeah. Well, again- It matters a lot, and I certainly hope, like heck, the ownership thing gets resolved because I don't think the Nats are going to get back to where we want them to be until you get that ownership in place and you know you fix some structural things that need to be fixed. And you know, it's just there's kind of like an overall thing of when you're owned by an entity that doesn't want you anymore. Like that's not healthy, right? You want to be owned by someone who is into having you and into owning you and is you know gung ho about trying to make you the best version of yourself. And so hopefully. We get that new ownership at some point this offseason, but as we have been saying, no guarantees. Well, we will continue to monitor the Nats. We will come out with uh, sporadic episodes during the offseason. We will continue to welcome your feedback. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in getting on board with the Nats Chat Podcast, email Tim Shovers about sponsorship opportunities. He can be reached at that email address, NatsChatPodcast.com. At gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at Nats Chat Podcast. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. So, from Mark Zuckerman, for Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. Thank you very much for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast, and we will see you at Walters Friday night, October 14th, 7 o'clock, for the first ever. Nats Chat Podcast Party.
3: Two balls, two strikes, two on, two outs. Here it comes. Swinging a high fly ball, right center field deep. Pache going back to the warning track at the wall, looking up, and it's gone! It's gone! And this game is over. The legend of Joey Meneses has another chapter. Nationals win their first walk off of the season. It's seven to five as they mob Manessis crossing home plate, his first career walk-off homer, a three-run shot just over the wall in right-center field, and the Nationals celebrate their first walk-off in 2022, courtesy of Joey Manessis. Wow! I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast.